So after we talked about the vine and branches metaphor last week, it kind of begs the question, how do we abide in Christ? And uh, the answer comes in that little passage that James read, which is a passage that comes straight after the passage that Ivy read to us last week. To abide in Christ is to live a life constrained by Christ's love. And that is to say that living one way is not just the same as living any other way. Jesus very purposefully is directing his followers to live in a Jesus-flavoured way, for want of a better descriptor. It's not about what you should eat. It's not about your fashion choices or indeed what career you should pursue, although all of those things could be influenced by the choice to live the Jesus way. The main thing is to engage life in a way that Jesus models for us. And this is about what he sees as most important. He says, keep my commandments to you. Well, what are Jesus' commandments to us? There's one here, love one another just as I have loved you. Um, I looked up what are Jesus' commandments on the web where the answers to everything can be found and there's an Institute of Basic Life Principles website that lists 49 commandments of Christ. I think they've just picked everything where Jesus sort of gave a directive and they are things like, and I'm not going to be exhaustive or say everything, but repent, follow me, rejoice, let your light shine, honour God's law, be reconciled, go the second mile, love your enemies, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, love the Lord, love your neighbour, make disciples, etc. I won't do all 49 of them. And here it is important to remember, Jesus did not give us a new law to obey. He came to change our heart disposition from a striving that is fueled by the fear of rejection, which I think is deep down in the bowels of each of us in a way. And Jesus wants to set us free in his gracious acceptance so that our hearts learn to desire to honour God and to love our neighbours from the deepest part of us. Again, his call to obedience to his commandments is in keeping with what he modelled in his keeping his father's commandments. Jesus doesn't slavishly follow the letter of the law when he's walking around first century Palestine. And we know this because he reached out and touched a woman who was bleeding, menstruating, which is a no-no. That's against the law of Judaism. He healed on the Sabbath and picked kernels of grain on the Sabbath, something that the Pharisees had declared to be against the law of the Sabbath. His interest in the law is not about being measured as obedient or good enough or reaching a bar of righteousness. Jesus listens to the law as an insight into the heart of the Father. He allows the heart of the Father to form his own heart The law becomes, as it were, part of him. It frames the way he sees everything. It's not the specific instructions 
of particular words. It is the direction and the intent, what it's trying to convey. Think about your, your closest relationships. I, I think about my relationship with Jo, and sometimes I've actually asked her, what is it that you want from me? Because, you know, husbands and wives, every now and then you get to the point, what do you want from me? It's not always like that. But, you know, I've said to Jo every now and then, what, what is it that you really want from me? And she tells me something that is so insightful. She says she wants me to hold her in mind. Think about that. To hold, I mean, it's so simple and so difficult. She loves it when I respond to her based on all of what I know of who she is. To not neglect, nor forget, nor disrespect her. It's pretty good, really. Wish I could come up with something that good. <laughs> And for me, this is kind of like the nature of the keeping of Jesus' commandments, responding to those around us, bearing in mind all we know of Jesus. Just as Jesus responded to those around him, bearing in mind all he knew of the Father. Not so much rule-keeping as respecting the spirit of the person. And this is always in the direction of loving one another. In my opinion and I might be wrong about this, but the best place to learn to love one another is among others who are seeking to learn the same thing with you. And that is amongst a community of believers. So if you want to practice following Jesus and loving one another, hang out with a bunch of people, like the ones here, who are wanting to do the same thing. Um, It was the writer Graham Greene who said, one cannot love humanity. You can't love humanity. You can only love people. Humanity is a vague concept. People turn up in front of you. And it is in genuine relationships with real people that we learn to love one another. It's useless as a theory or a philosophy if not practiced in the particular instance in which we find ourselves right now. And quite honestly, practicing at church is far easier than doing it at home, isn't it? Like practicing loving people in this context is much easier than doing it at home. I'm not suggesting you shouldn't love the members of your own household. But uh, if you're somewhat new to the notion, it is easier and possibly even safer to practice on people you don't actually live with because you get respite from them. And whilst that might sound funny, I think it actually is true. Church provides a potentially rich exposure to a wide range of people, many of whom you might not mix with otherwise. And they likewise are seeking to learn to love one another as well. And so there's a a proverb, I think, about iron sharpening iron. And in this way, we equip each other, not just to love each other here, but love one another in every situation we find ourselves in. And Jesus says when we do that, we will abide in his, or his joy will be in us. The fullness of his joy will be in us. To the extent that we love one another as Christ has loved us, his joy is in us. And this functions in at least two ways. First, we bring joy to the heart of Jesus. 
I remember the first time my daughter referenced René Girard. Now, you probably don't know who René Girard is, but he's a particular theorist that I really like, and he came up with this notion of mimetic desire where we learn desire from one another. And I got really enwrapped with this whole thing, and I used to rave about it at every opportunity. And one day, and I had a little booklet that explained it in very simple terms, which my daughter duly read at the age of 11 or something. And one day she was explaining something that happened in the school playground where two friends were competing after something. And she turned to me and said, it was, it was just like mimetic desire, Dad. I went, oh, my daughter. <laughs> she was a chip off the old block. She was doing the thing that I, like she was seeing it the way I saw it and it, it really warmed my heart. When Jesus sees his impact shaping the way his followers love one another, our following of his way brings joy to his heart. His joy is in us, what we're doing. That is the the locus of his joy, as it were. He loves seeing us love one another. So that's one way it can mean. But it can also mean as we live the kind of love Jesus displayed for others, we will also experience the depth of joy that Jesus knew as he loved other people. Now, this is a depth and fullness of love unlike any other. It is a joy of delighting in giving oneself to bring life to another. It is uniquely Jesus-shaped in this way, I think. We get to experience it when we follow his lead and love as he has loved. We, in a sense, embody that experience and we feel the joy just as he felt it, as he loved people. And I tell you what, there's nothing better, nothing better than that. So how did Jesus love? He loved completely. He loved thoroughly, wisely, strategically. He loved extravagantly, recklessly, gladly, with integrity, He loved with every fibre of his being, even unto death and through death and onto resurrection. This is an unrelenting, inexhaustible, completely other-centred love. When we realise we are loved by that kind of love, it changes us forever And it empowers us to love in a similar way. I'm not saying that's easy, but it does happen. And Jesus calls his followers not slaves or servants, but friends. And there's an innate tension in this concept of uh, friendship and freedom in that, because as we find increased freedom from traditional mores, it's getting more challenging to find to, to live a meaningful life. When we are freed from the attachments that once grounded us in a particular context and we're free to plot our own course, so there's a lot of freedom in all that, but there's an inherent disconnect from larger meaning. We're going our own way, being our own masters, and disregarding the network of meaning that previously held us, or at least not regarding it in the same way. And that's what happens, I think, that's happening in our uh, secular society at the moment. 
And in reaction to this tendency, some of us would find life easier if some authority would simply tell us clearly what to do. And I suspect this is part of the attraction and popularity of renewed fundamentalisms. There's something attractive about really clear guidelines. This is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, this is what you should do, you shouldn't do that, all those kinds of things. And we just want to know what to do in a, in a funny kind of way. Someone tell me what it means and how to respond. It can become almost a form of comfort to be a slave to an overarching ideology. And some people use their religion in this way, you'll notice. And that was the way that Judaism functioned for a lot of people in Jesus' day. They had the law. It was really quite uh, dominating in their headspace. And then they had interpretive authorities. So, so you had um, the Pharisees who would then take the law and interpret and break it down to actual behaviours you could do on particular days and 615 laws about the Sabbath and what you could and couldn't do. People were then told what they could do and what they could not do. In contrast to this, in an unprecedented move for any religious figure I know of, Jesus radically alters the power dynamic with his followers. As we've noted, there are commandments that he puts out there and we are to obey them, but they're both delightfully broad and vague. So love your neighbour, love your enemy, let your light shine. They're nice broad ideas, aren't they? They don't actually tell you what you must do in a funny kind of way. Jesus' commandments set a general tone and direction without actually telling us what to do. And I know at times, especially with the people that I'm closest to, when my every response seems to be missing the mark, maybe with my daughter, Pay, or with my wife, or someone that I really love, but I seem to be rubbing them up the wrong way sometimes, and I want to say to them, please just tell me how to respond to you so that I don't make you so upset with me. But I know that no one really wants others to respond to them as an extension of their own will, because that's just like manipulating people to do what you want. We really want our close friends and family to love us as an expression of what they want to do for us and to us and show their kindness to us and that kind of thing. So Jesus doesn't want to tell us exactly what to do. He wants to set our hearts free so that we want to do that which is loving and good. And he calls his followers friends. He's taking us into his confidence. We're not bound operatives of a sovereign overlord that must do precise things that he's already commanded and laid out for us. We've been told what the kingdom is about. We've been invited into the confidence of the administration and not in a token manner, but in a way that is integral to its realization. We are the ones who work out our faith with fear and trembling, with awe and respect. We make the day-to-day -day decisions, the relational choices, the ordering of priorities that cause the kingdom to become a reality in our midst. On Anzac Day, we had lots of dignitaries here talking and I had a conversation with Jamie Parker, who's our state local member, and I really like a lot of things about Jamie. One of the things that I like about him is that he has a good understanding of what makes for healthy 
community. And he's very supportive of churches like ours because he sees the benefits we offer to the community. And when I was talking with Jamie on Anzac Day, he said, I get concerned that these sorts of groups might one day fail and not be around anymore and the buildings will be sold off. And what that will mean for our communities and our society will be devastating. I I like that he sees that and he wouldn't uh, put it in these terms, he'd probably name it differently, but he knows that our kingdom work, the stuff that we just do naturally together, is so vital to healthy society. I would say to you there's no weightier responsibility we could take on and nothing more meaningful or important that you can engage in doing So, you know, if you're struggling to find meaning in your life, get more involved in the eternal reign of God, not as a bystander or a spectator, but as one who lives into it and invites others to join you in it. Because the only way to abide in Christ's love is to be following his ways. And to be clear, Jesus loves us either way, whether we follow him or not. But our experience of his love only comes to its fullness as we trust him enough to do life in the way that he shows us how to do life. That's where we are a delight to Jesus and we experience the joy he knew as he did his father's will. This is far more nuanced than flat obedience to a set of new laws or something like that. It is the more profound and fulsome response of holding Christ in mind in every part of our life and in every relationship. This is how we fulfill our calling to be friends of the Messiah and so bear fruit for his kingdom. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you haven't made us robotrons that are programmed with something and then set out to go and do it. You've invited us into a complex and nuanced relationship in which your love for us transforms our hearts so that we begin to love in a manner similar to the way that you love us. We thank you that this is not something that is manipulative, but offers us the deepest opportunity to experience the fullest joy. And so we give ourselves willingly to you that we might participate in your kingdom and be integral to the bringing of that kingdom into reality, to the glory of your name. Amen.